Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 156 of our Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to welcome RJ Mahadev, president of IOTA, helping reshape the construction industry using cloud-based AIoT and digital twin technologies. Mr. Mahadev has 20 plus years of experience as an executive and tech investor focused on optimizing the technology use case for smart cities, industrial organizations, and startups. He most recently led the definition and implementation of the IoT and digital twin platforms at Neom, a $650 billion cognitive city of the future being built on the border of Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Egypt. Prior, he helped grow Cisco's IoT business to a number one market position through the development of full-stack solutions addressing smart city and industrial use cases. Prior to that, he launched one of the world's first broadband wireless providers, founding Euro Broadband, to support the 2004 Athens Olympics. RJ holds an MBA from the University of Denver. Besides his active corporate life, RJ also volunteers as an executive board member of AUM, a nonprofit dedicated to helping marginalized communities heal through therapeutic workshops and artistic performances. RJ, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Ken. Man, 156. I really enjoyed your podcast, Ken, and the conversations we've had, and I'm really honored. So thank you for sharing my thoughts with your community. Oh, thank you so much for recognizing that. And we love to feature people who really have a very deep industry leadership journey. And you clearly, just based on the background that we read, clearly do. So let's start with the question I always like to lead with, and that is, what would you consider to be your digital thread? In other words, the one or more thematic threads that defined your digital industry journey. Ah, yeah. Ken's digital thread question. You know, when I first heard the term, it kind of threw me, but it makes so much sense, Ken. Digital thread and the aspect of what's brought me here. Yeah, definitely a lot of what I'm about today is defining technology use case fit for infrastructure, industrial customers, which somehow doesn't sound like the kind of thing you grow up dreaming about. (laughs) I guess in my case, growing up in India, very STEM focused, as you can imagine, kind of argumentative. So getting into debates, asking tough questions was okay. And I think in many ways that sort of prepared me for this. My coach recently described me my essence. So this idea of people having an essence and you have to live being true to your essence. And so she described my essence as curious, intrepid, and brilliance. And I think she meant that in the sense of wanting to shine. And I think that's true. I've always been drawn to sort of a hero's journey, you know, Lord of the Ring type quests. And so this idea of going after these great big use cases that are ripe for digital transformation and defining tech stacks really sort of speak to me. And I guess some of the other things that have influenced me is being a marketing guy in an engineering world. So in a way, it sort of, I think, makes it easier to go after some of the big ideas like, you know, launching cell phone services in Nigeria or broadband wireless in Greece or digital transformation. 
So really, I think that's the digital thread that led to my digital twin that I am right now. Thanks again, Ken. Yeah, thank you. It's interesting, this idea of what's a curious introvert brilliance. I think you and I have joked in past conversations around Myers-Briggs types. So I can probably guess your Myers-Briggs type there, but uh, either way, we'll <laughs> say it's it's probably pretty close to digital industry leadership in general. Since we're going to start to really talk construction tech today, because I know that's really where you're focused on with your newest company, let's start with kind of a broad context setting question that is really, you mentioned digital twin a moment ago. What does digital twin mean to you? Yeah, I did a lot of work in IoT, and I think, unfortunately, some of these terms like IoT and digital twin mean so many different things to so many different people. It's good to sort of have a context and a common understanding. And one of the cool things that I've started to do is work with this really interesting company called Sustainable Living Innovations back in the U.S., they do manufactured buildings, and they're really focused on sustainability, both in the construction process as well as in the building. And trying to figure out this idea of driving the city of tomorrow with manufactured mid-rise buildings. And the way we talk about digital twin, probably the easiest definition would be the right combination of physics and statistics-based models that allow for simulation at every stage of the process. So all the way from architecture and design through manufacturing, the key components, through sort of the construction process, as well as operations. And so I think in many ways that, for me, is starting to define Digital Twin. And we'll dig down into that topic in a few minutes, really relative to a NEOM, which is just a you know, fantastic project. Let's maybe rewind a little bit. You know, I noted if I look at the kind of origin story of a lot of our digital industry leaders, many of them come from the connectivity space, telco particularly. And that's why I particularly like your early entrepreneurial work with Euro Broadband. What inspired you to create this company at the time? Yeah, it's funny, right? Because for a long time, probably what, till about 2009-ish, connectivity really was the insurmountable technical challenge. And a lot of us used to go around in telcos. And I don't know, telcos right now, if I talk to my Zoomer kid about telco, she goes, man, that has got to be the most boring industry around. And, and unfortunately, I think to many people, it's turned that way. But But back in the day, with Bell Labs, there was just so much innovation happening in telecom, right? And it's just amazing how with 4G and smartphones, it's almost marginalized the telco and has really brought applications and IoT and AI to the forefront. So I guess, yeah, we'll have to do kind of a journey back to 2003, 2004. No 4G. We were in a 3G world. And we were all really wondering how we could start using mobile phones and get more wireless broadband. And back then, WiMAX was being held up as kind of the magic bullet. And of course, Greece being the showcase for the Olympics, they really wanted to showcase the latest and greatest in technology. I remember 2002, I was just coming off of deploying 3G in Nigeria and was looking for my next intrepid adventure, if you will. And I met this gentleman, I'm still good uh, friends with him, Darwin, and he was doing Wi-Fi-based broadband networks in Truckee in California. And he was saying, oh, yeah, we could do a Wi-Fi network for Athens for the Olympics. And of course, being kind of a telco guy, I kind of poo-pooed Wi-Fi and go, no, we got to do WiMAX. It's really this cool technology. And so it was sort of a pretty easy leap to get from there to, <laughs> before I knew it, working for a consortium of Italian and German bankers building this company with a team of ex-Olympic athletes and one of the five families in Greece that were running things there to really figure out how we could deploy this in Athens. 
And so, Ken, in many ways, I think that was the epitome of technology use case fit. We had a great market opportunity. We had the right set of partners, a chance to be first to market with a new technology. And I really enjoyed my time there before I moved on to Cisco to lead the digital transformation work over there. And that's a great lead-in because you played a leading role at Cisco for 13 years, driving emerging market transformation and IoT, or at least what they were calling at the time, the Internet of Everything, which I still think is an absolutely brilliant (laughs) ad campaign. And unfortunately, the optic was so far ahead of the ability to capitalize upon it. But uh, man, I give them a lot of credit for setting the tone. So in the end, you were running the remote and mobile assets business for them, really focused on industrial companies and smart cities. What were some of the key use cases and wins you saw during that time? Oh, yeah. And I think you had Joseph Bradley on, was that 100, what, 115? You're you're absolutely right, 115. Yeah, Yeah, wow, you listened to them all. I'm impressed. (laughs) Yeah, I love the guests you have and how interesting you keep it. And so Joseph was the architect in many ways of the Internet of Everything story while he was back at Cisco. And back then, I guess I can admit it now, it was kind of a architecture story. And we had sort of this great vision, but it was still coming together. So lots of mistakes, some successes, and really it's been just a great ride. I think as I look back, the impact we've had on utilities and smart grid has been amazing. In 2012, we partnered with iTron and we did the first deployment of 3 million smart meters at BC Hydro which was really a new way for the utility industry to think about the smart grid and adopting standards-based and IP-based technologies for supporting the grid, which was this huge, big evolution back in the day. And also, we did a lot of work in automotive, which was just an amazing experience, you know, working with companies like Ford that invented industrialization, right? And so these companies that have these huge legacy and this huge history in how you industrialize the production and the manufacturing process. In that context, hearing the Ford CEO talk about how digitization would be their most significant technology journey for the last hundred years. And this is a company that started this whole industrial journey, if you will. That was just an amazing experience. And then, of course, a lot of work in the Middle East, evolving their connected real estate to smart cities, really sort of being part of Dubai becoming what it was. I mean, back in 2010, Dubai was essentially a lot of these soaks and kind of an old city and none of the new city really existed. And if you go there today, it's kind of like Vegas on steroids with all of these iconic buildings and just watching all that happen and the technology that's gone into it. It's really a different world that I was lucky to be a part of because of my time at Cisco. Speaking of digital threads, then, one, we have Joseph moving from Cisco in the role you just mentioned to uh, president at Neom. And as you said, we featured him in a podcast. And two, we have you in some sense following in his footsteps leading really the IoT and digital twin platform for Neom, which I believe you were calling NEOS or the Neom OS. Can you provide our audience with a sense of the challenge you were attempting to solve and the digital solutions you were developing to address these? Sure, sure. Maybe it helps to set the context for Neom. And for folks that are not familiar with Neom, it's www.neom.com. Essentially, it's a startup cognitive city. But it's being done Saudi style. So the budget is $650 billion, That's with a B. Uh, just a crazy massive budget. And it's this very large area. It's 25,000 square kilometers. So let me see. That's 2,500 square miles, I think, if I do my math right. 
It's the northwest corner of Saudi Arabia on the border of Egypt and Jordan. And they've taken this large chunk of land and they're building an international community there. And the vision is just incredible. So, you know, imagine Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. I don't know, maybe meeting Woody Allen Sleeper. It's just kind of all of these cool, iconic things that you can't even imagine. They've got some of the top architects in the world. Norman Foster, who built the Gherkin in London. They have Zaha Hadid, who's built, I think she built the Museum of Modern Art in Barcelona. So they're building kind of these really iconic buildings. You have the city that's a floating city. So it's literally floating on the bay. And you have, they're covering a side of a mountain to turn it into a ski slope. And this is in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, it's going to be like fully brought down to zero degrees centigrade so they can ski on it and, and turn it into another mini Switzerland, I imagine, Ken. So you probably feel comfortable <laughs> there, right? So it's just this, so you have these thousand assets being built and, you know, like an asset could be the airport. It could be this bridge to Egypt. It's three times the complexity of the channel tunnel in much less the time. So in seven years, they want to build all of these thousand assets. So as you can imagine, it's kind of just a great construction challenge. And I had the great opportunity of going in there as part of, as you said, the NEOS team, the OS team. So talking about the platform that's going to be used for supporting the construction technologies. And this has really got me involved into some of the newer ways of thinking around building information modeling, digital twin, and really sort of how you deal with some of these challenges of getting inputs from thousands of project management and design consultants, how you try to automate the validation of the construction process so the machine can identify what's called clashes and do automated clash detection, how you build a digital thread between some of the upstream uh, processes like the design piece and the downstream processes like construction or operations, how you really sort of Think through all of the data schema required to support simulations at every stage of the construction process. And that was a big challenge, just thinking about all the data issues, the ETL pipeline, so how you extract, transform, load the data, how you develop the data schemas, how you keep the data manageable. Like some of these, so there's this thing called level of detail in architecture, and it goes from 100, which is a very high level, kind of a box on, let's say, in a 3D drawing, to what's called 500 LOD, which is your as-built deep detail of what's being constructed. And some of these files, they can reach multiple gigabytes in size. And so trying to sort of do analytics and simulation and manipulating these files, even that was a challenge. So I think getting into all of that really helped me understand the complexity of digital construction and some of what the opportunities are in this space. So all of this culminates with the founding of IOT, company helping reshape the construction industry using cloud-based AIoT and digital twin technologies. What's the market opportunity here and how do you help companies in this space? I guess it might help to talk a little bit about a few of the metrics, right? So a lot of people know this, like construction is one of the largest sectors around. It's about 12 trillion in revenue. So it's about 15% of the global GDP. And I know in the US, we sort of think of construction as mainly sticks and bricks, right? So projects where essentially these are going kind of over budget, they're taking twice as long as they need to. And it's sort of not really considered the kind of leading edge in digitization and in technology, right? But in other parts of the world, especially China, some of the ways they're bringing digital technologies into construction and some of the things they're doing with digital twin 
is just amazing. And so especially in the U.S., as we think about the Biden $2 trillion infrastructure bill, and we think about how construction needs to change and how much changed since the last time we did big construction projects in the U.S. back in the 50s, and how much we have to learn from the Middle East and China. It's amazing. Just when you think about IT budgets, most construction companies, their IT budgets are probably in the realm of like 1%. And if you look at manufacturing, which is really advanced, you know, when you compare it to construction, it's around 4% or 25% for software. So really sort of adoption of digital technologies to drive the future. And at this point, I think a lot of construction companies are starting to realize that construction is really digital. You're starting to see large investments, even in the VC community. So SoftBank, they've done some really large investments. Unfortunately, a few of those companies haven't probably done as well as they could, like Katera. But I think in 2018, there was $3 billion in the US that was spent on construction tech. And of course, no technology is legit unless Elon Musk tweets about it. So we have had our Elon Musk sightings, (laughs) his new home, right, that he built at his Space Station was a prefab for home that was unfolded on site. So hopefully we're going to see some tweets that drive the value of construction tech up, right? So with all of these great opportunities in construction, some of the specific things that we're seeing from an AIoT perspective that I think are hugely attractive is aligning BIM models with the data schemas required to optimize the downstream process. So really think of it as a process manufacturing problem, which we can talk about more in a bit, but essentially, how do you optimize downstream processes so the digital systems used, let's say in design, can be used for running simulations during construction and operations? So you're thinking about this as an end-to-end process, and you're really using this to reduce delays, rework, waste, and a lot of the things that were plaguing the construction industry. Even at Neom and and even at some of the projects that I've done, for instance, where we've done some remodeling work, you always have this problem of architects design these great 3D models of what needs to happen. But then a lot of times that gets sort of sent over the fence to the civil engineers. And civil engineers, although they are engineers, they aren't as, let's say, tech-friendly as mechanical engineers or, you know, obviously computer science. They're more less more reticent, I think, to get their hands on keyboards and really get into the use of computer technologies. So that's part of what we're doing at AOTA is how do we take an AIoT and a data science-centric approach to how we think through these workflows and optimizing it and kind of move companies from being unconsciously unaware of what technology can do to them. So having unknown unknowns to having known unknowns to then really being consciously aware of what they use and how they scale their IoT platforms. So a lot of difficult conversations, I think, with construction folks establishing the technology use case fit, talking about the appropriate tech stack, how we can leverage cloud, how we can evolve the ecosystem. And really sort of the vision of AOTA is solution-led iPaaS, so solution-led integration platform as a service. So not spending a lot in consulting, but getting it as a service and having something that's shared among construction companies so they can all really benefit from what technology offers to them. Gosh, Ken, I know that was a mouthful. I hope I haven't put you to sleep and then sort of made sense. (laughs) (laughs) No far from it, but there's so many questions I would like to ask. 
I love pattern matching and this idea of looking or treating construction as process manufacturing is a very interesting concept in that regard. And I think you gave us a sense of that. Let me kind of ask a step up question on that. One of our four key focus sectors is at least Momenta, we call smart spaces, which for us cover smart buildings, smart cities, farms, and of course, construction. You know, one, do you see similar opportunities in these areas in terms of treating them as process manufacturing versus the way they're treated now? Oh, yeah. Ken, I think we're on exactly the same page. And it's probably because both you and I have spent so much time in manufacturing. I'm sure you remember back 20 years ago, manufacturing was all about machine to machine. There was no really standards-based AI, digital twin, any of that going on. And construction in many ways is the same. In many ways, people view it as a project management problem. So 20% of the budget gets assigned for a project management office that then looks at it as essentially coming up with these Gantt charts and all of these project management ways. And when you step back and you look at it from a process problem, it's really process manufacturing, right? You've got upstream processes like design and you've got downstream processes like construction and operation. And you need to really align them because the upstream processes have a huge effect on the downstream. And when you look at it as a process manufacturing problem, then you start quickly identifying, yeah, well, it makes sense to have a supply chain. It makes sense to have product management sort of design this thing end to end. It makes sense to have shared contractual responsibilities. So, you know, the construction team and the design team are all working towards the same metrics in their contracts, and they're not necessarily working at cross-purposes, which unfortunately is sometimes the case. And you can really start addressing how you can keep projects on time, on budget, and sort of have the right machine-readable and enforceable regulations. And by the way, I think building code also falls into this. And really, you can have all of them part of an end-to-end system. And you can use a lot of the advances and optimization we have in process manufacturing and really across all smart spaces. An ecologically sound building is something that's been manufactured and designed with that in mind from the get-go. And I recently read an article that talks about how even in farming, there's really this opportunity to move away from all of these labels we're putting on product like organic and sustainable to smart farming, right? Is this smart ingrained into every step of the process? And are you using technology to optimize the process? And I think that's true of everything that you think about in smart spaces and buildings and cities and agriculture and in construction. And then especially from a digital thread and a digital twin perspective, you have a common digital thread. You're collecting data during early stages that are used in the later stages. So this way, you can really kind of use data science effectively, because as you know, the longer you wait to collect the data, the more expensive it gets and the more difficult it is to monetize this. And so it's really important to sort of not get lost in the trees and to view sort of this construction forest as one thing and optimize it end to end. What I love about doing these podcasts and, of course, all the other activities we have at Momenta is You hear inspiration sometimes in the same day and you begin to see how these patterns apply. And so I just finished recording a podcast with Roberto Siagre, the former CEO of Eurotech, and he's been very active in the EU Commission's Industry 5.0, yes, 5.0 initiative now. And it's really interesting because it's all of the 4.0, which was technology-led, 
but moving toward concepts like circular economy and how to move to servitization, as an example. It's a lot more transformational, but one of the points he made in there, which I thought was brilliant, is Industrial IoT is about breaking down the barriers we have between value chain members and thinking holistically and horizontally. So you're thinking about sustainability if you're a technology provider providing to an OEM who's going to sell that as a product or service to a consumer. And in some sense, that's kind of what you just said around construction, really looking at this thing long term and from earliest decisions to end of life decisions. So it's interesting to see how all of this comes together in that regard. Yeah, I think to add to that a little bit, I think as individuals, our exposure to construction is a project. And so that's the way we think about it as individuals. But when you're in the industry, it really is a process because you're moving equipment and people from one project to the next. And thinking about them as projects, you really suboptimize so many parts of it. So you're absolutely right around that. So let's take an orthogonal move in the conversation here. And I noted your work with AUM, again, a nonprofit dedicated to helping marginalized communities heal through therapeutic workshops and artistic performances. Tell us a little bit about this and your involvement in it. It's fascinating. Thanks, Ken, for bringing up Ohm. Yeah, you know, Ohm in so many ways, it's kind of my respite from the crazy Silicon Valley world that we all live in, right? So Ohm is Arts Unity Movement. We're a 5013C3 nonprofit dedicated to helping the Bay Area heal and connect, especially our marginalized communities through inspirational performances and therapeutic workshops. So the reason I came into it is because I spent so much time in the tech world And then you start thinking that's how the whole world works. And so being able to work with these wonderful ladies that are artists and that are making a meaningful difference in the Bay Area, you know, with homelessness, with some of the BLM issues, with some of the issues we have with mental challenges and and how we sort of relate to that as a community and how we sort of interact with each other. You know, I think that's just a huge problem we have in the Bay Area and probably in much of the world. And at OM, the ladies have come up with this really cool process called ARTS, which stands for uh, Awakening the Mind. So, you know, using really inspirational performances to awaken the mind to this other way of being. And then lots of meditation and visual arts response and arts therapy to reflect. So that's the R, reflection, where you then reflect on sort of this different way of being. Then the T is a transformation where we do lots of interactive art movement workshops to kind of really start to get out of your thinking mind into more of sort of your doing and getting in touch with your body. And then sharing this with people so you're connecting and building community. It's been incredible, especially as we emerge from COVID. And we have so many communities that have been marginalized with all of this community trauma, you know, again, COVID, Black Lives Matter, people feeling that they're not being heard and appreciated, homelessness, mental illness, and just being able to do something with that has been just this huge gift. And I really appreciate the time I'm able to spend with that. Yeah. And I must say, I appreciate your passion and dedication to this as well. We always like to ask kind of an ending question, and perhaps you've already given us an early answer on that, and that is really, where do you find your personal inspiration? Yeah, I guess my Myers-Briggs, one of the things would be an E, I'm definitely an extrovert, so it's definitely, I get my strength and my power from my community and people I surround myself with. My amazing wife, she's doing this great work applying foresight and mindset principle to leadership at the Hum Collective, so I listen to her calls and I'm just like, 
I just think about, my, this is so smart and cool, some of the stuff that she's doing. Talking to you and the conversations you have, this other friend, Mark, who's, it's a uniquely barrier thing. He's psychonaut, so he's into the use of psychedelics to get even smarter and having conversations with him around that. My daughter, Bo, who's kind of doing data science out in Hong Kong and talking about what it feels like to do that. And then I read a lot. I just finished the new Michael Lewis book about how the U.S. screwed up the pandemic response. I really love that. I'd really recommend that as great airplane reading now that we're all back on planes. It was just a great book. And Lots of podcasts. I love your podcast, Ken. And then a few others I like are Shane Parrish. I like Adam Grant, Adam Robinson. Just so many really smart people willing to share how they think. And probably the last thing, and this is something I've taken up recently, but it's really changed things in many ways, is meditation. And this is about not finding inspiration and getting out of my thinking mind and turning my inspiration machine off. And really being present and just sort of spending more time listening. I'm just learning how to do that more. And that's been a huge benefit to me as well. Gosh, if uh, one word comes to mind, I'd say it's holistic in yeah. that regard. Because we've explored right and left brain. We've explored everything up, I think, up and down Maslow's hierarchy of <laughs> needs. And uh, it's been a great conversation in that regard. If people want to learn more about IOTA, how should they reach out to you? Oh, yeah. So IOTA soon, your website is still coming up. So I guess info at IOTA.solution. So that's A-I-O-T-A. And by the way, the word IOTA also means intention in Finnish. So it's, it's kind of a cool little connect there. So it's IOTA.solutions or probably my LinkedIn, RJ Mahadev. And I'd love to talk to folks and just keep this conversation going. So thanks again very much, Ken, for sharing your audience with me. Oh, yeah. And thank you for sharing your insights with us as well. So this has been RJ Mahadev, president of IOTA and thought leader on construction tech. Maybe I put parentheses and say holistic there. Thank you for listening. And please join us next week for our next Momenta Digital Thread podcast. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening. Thank you.